Welcome to The Yoga Voice, a podcast by City Yoga, School of Yoga and Health. Our guests discuss how the contemporary practice of this ancient art transforms the lives of individuals and communities in the Midwest and beyond. City Yoga has been a center for the practice of yoga and yoga teacher training since opening in 2002. Join us as we explore how yoga inspires and transforms. Dave Sims here at the Yoga Voice, broadcasting live from Indianapolis, Indiana. Thank you all for giving us a listen today. We've got a treat for you. We have a wonderful woman here at the studio. She's an international yoga teacher. She's led retreats all over the world. She's a senior level teacher here at City Yoga. She's a doula. She's a mother of four daughters. She's a musician. And she's just a big part of the community in central Indiana, both at our little studio here and beyond. She does so much to enhance the lives of people in the local community. Lisa Doherty. Welcome, Lisa. So glad you could come and see us this morning. And how's your morning been? Yeah, it's been a nice morning. It's good to be here. Um, yeah, just kind of had a quiet morning this morning, and uh, it's foggy and rainy and feels nice outside. So glad to be here. Nice. Well, I always like to start with the question, what inspires you about yoga today? Uh, yoga today inspires me in numerous ways. Um, uh, I'm just kind of thinking about um, the ways that affects my personal life, my creative life, my spiritual life, my family life, my community life, my work life, and the balance in trying to give proper time and space to all those things. And yoga is one of the primary tools that I have for uh, trying to establish that balance or that homeostasis in terms of what I want to put out in the world, what I need for myself internally, what I need to draw upon to be present for my family, my friends, my community. And yoga is really one of the ways that I find that I can um, try to achieve some of that balance that we're all looking for in life. Um the presence of mind that I get through yoga and the ways that it refreshes and renews my body and spirit are really helpful in, in um, yeah, this quest to find balance in all things in life. <laughs> I'm certainly <laughs> no expert, but it's yoga has been a deep, yeah, a deep tool, a deep resource for me to to explore that. Very good. What is your journey been like? Just kind of dabble into how your life was before you found this practice on the mat and maybe what the catalyst was that brought you to and how it's evolved and where you're at today. Mm. Yeah, well, um, before yoga, you know, dot, 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 um, <laughs> <laughs> B-Y, <laughs> before yoga times. Um, so, I just kind of look at it as it, it has been, it's been a long journey. It's been a fruitful journey. Um, I came into yoga really young comparatively. And so it always makes me happy to see young people taking up the practice because 
I mean, of course, it's going to be beneficial no matter what age that you start. But when you start young as a teen or a 20, you're really giving yourself a good, there's a good imprint that's happening on your consciousness at that young formative age um, that, you know, then you watch the seeds grow, you watch the practice blossom, you watch the practice become nourished through life experiences. And so that's certainly how it's been for me. Um, before yoga, you know, I was kind of this um, this little wandering soul <laughs> looking for something bigger than myself, always have been that seeker of um, kind of an independent seeker, um, definitely like made a conscious choice to um, kind of detangle myself from my birth family, not because of anything uh, that, uh, you know, that I was running from particularly, but just this felt this need to establish my own identity coming into adulthood. So, um, so that's what landed me at the steps of looking for something. And, um, I kind of found it by my move out west as a young person. You know, I had just turned 22, like the week before I moved to Arizona by myself with no, no real <laughs> prospects for what should happen from there. But uh, I just packed up a car and um, and moved out west. And that was kind of my break from what I'd known in stepping into mystery because I'd never even been to Arizona before <laughs> moving there. Um, I'd rarely been west of the Mississippi River. Uh, so so that, that was certainly the first like tangent or the first um, steps I took onto my own path outside of what I had known for the past, previous two decades growing up in central Indiana, growing up in Indianapolis, basically. Um, and so moving out west, I was, like I said, a little bit of this wandering soul looking for herself, looking for what was what brought me meaning. Um, and there was a, you know, there's a transition time for sure where I'm living out west kind of a little bit on my own besides Brett, my <laughs> boyfriend at the time had come with me Um but not having any friends, not having any community, having no family anywhere nearby gave me about a year of really introspection where I read a lot. I traveled a lot through the West and the West Coast. Um, I worked a lot. And just this kind of year of, okay, now what? <laughs> you know. And uh, once that year had passed, then doors started to open for me. Um, and I really found myself leaning into like social and environmental activism was one of the doors that swung wide open and I joyfully and uh, naively <laughs> stepped right through those doors and found myself a community that was centered around um, environmental causes and environmental activism, social justice causes and social justice activism, indigenous um, activism and connection to indigenous ways of living, ways of knowing, and ways of protecting the land that we all call home. And so that gave me this 
this this kind of nice intro into what it means to be a conscious human. Now, there were still, you know, little blips along the way, for sure, where I'm sure I I know I took missteps, I uh, misunderstood things, I had the the life experience of a 20 of an early 20 something person <laughs> right. which uh, doesn't always give you the broadest perspective um, but it was from that place where I found people who were willing to go outside their comfort zone people who were willing to put themselves on the line for something bigger than themselves and that was I think probably like the first times that this idea of um of what it means to be human really came came into who I was, who I am, who I was. Uh, and it was from that place that yoga came into my life. And uh, so I was maybe 22 or 23 years old and living in this community where I was around people who were activists and who were farmers, organic farmers and midwives and... Um, um, artists. And so the yoga came through that connection to these people who were maybe kind of counterculture or maybe just um, free thinkers. Um, yeah, visionaries, people like that who really helped form my awareness. And, um, and so the yoga just started very casually through these connections to people. Uh, to people in my community. And, um, and through that, I just started to take on elements of the practice. Basically, asana, for sure, was my gateway into it. So postures, physical postures, physical practice. I've always been kind of an athletic, active person in my childhood and adolescence and, and teenage and early 20s. So the asana was a real... Um, was a real easy entry for me into the world of yoga. It fit really nicely with how I like to be in my body and what I wanted to ask my body to be able to do through these postures, through this disciplined practice. Um, so it started like that with just easy, uh, kind of carefree or casual entry into the world of asana through friendships and community and just, hey, let's do some poses together here on this mountainside that we're trying to save. <laughs> uh, and um, and from there, it, it, it certainly deepened the yoga practice from that place of casual entry through asana, deepened because of life experiences of loss, of learning to love myself and other people, of um, learning what it means to be disappointed and frustrated, learning what it means to be joyful and celebratory, uh, creativity. And so all these life experiences that stacked up on top of each other in my 20s um, really helped to give the yoga practice um, some more complexity for me, some more nuance. And it's a, it's a well it's a well that I'm just happy to keep on going down, down, down um, and seeing all the different ways that uh, that this practice can serve humanity. Yes, yes. And today, how does it play out in your life? Mm. 
Um, well, while I still deeply, deeply love the physical practice of asana and creating um, interesting and dynamic ways of moving in the body, that's still a deep joy to me. Um, the way the yoga shows up now is in the ways that I parent my children, in the ways that I want to be present for my community, in the ways that I'm with myself when I'm like all alone and the comfort that I can find in being with myself is certainly, certainly a, a shift from you know, early, uh, early adulthood when it feels, might feel scary to be by yourself or it might feel scary to, to dig into who am I? What, what are my values? Um, how can I serve? What do I need? Uh, so, so the practice has taken on colors and variety and it's, um, the way that I like to be with the yoga now is on a regular basis as part of a committed daily discipline of breath awareness, mindfulness, uh, connection to nature, connection to my creative self, and how does that all fit together or sometimes doesn't, fit together into um, what I bring through my teachings, through my yoga teachings. And so I hope that, yeah, it's taken on a certain complexity of flavors and varieties, not necessarily in terms of like lineages or specific practices, but like we were referring to before the podcast started of just the umbrella of yoga and it's it's a very very big umbrella at this point for me um affecting nearly everything that i do every day that i do do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that and you speak in the broad terms and you know comments and feedback from our listeners you know we reach a really broad audience in the midwest and all around the world where people can relate to this journey of yoga mm -hmm. that can be an umbrella to cover, you know, a lot of territory. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what's beautiful about how yoga continues to evolve today. Mm -hmm. And I know in looking at your social media posts and things that, that uh, and from just knowing you, that mm -hmm. you do have a connection in nature. Mm -hmm. And just maybe elaborate a little bit on how that spiritual or that that connection with power powers greater than ourselves or however you want to phrase that feels for you in nature because i know you you have you're really drawn to nature it mm -hmm. seems yeah yeah it's it's kind of ridiculous <laughs> um no i try not to um I try not to make light of it though it's funny because i realize that it's a little bit of a you know, I had this realization just recently, like, for most of humanity, you couldn't really just take a walk in the woods because there were vicious predators that would possibly eat you. Um, so I realized that 
the fact that we've tamed much of the environments culturally, humans have tamed and unfortunately eliminated many top predators from our natural environments, from our bioregions. So I'm just putting that out there that I realize that like there's things that still need to come into balance. But my hope and prayer is that when I am in the woods or when I am connected to nature, that that gives me the the strength and the courage and the wherewithal and the chutzpah to to want to um, do everything I can to raise awareness about how we're living on this planet and the things that we can do individually and the things that we can ask from our culture, from our societal institutions um, to kind of demand greater accountability when it comes to how we take care of the planet. So, so that being said, yeah, I make spending time in nature a daily practice. Uh, sometimes it's just 20 minutes and sometimes it's maybe three hours or so um, where I just kind of disappear often with my dog. But really, 95% of the time I'm by myself or myself and my dog. Um, so if anyone wants to take a walk in the woods, I'm usually by myself. So just hit me up and we'll go take a walk in the woods. Um, but yes, I go to the woods I guess, Henry David Thoreau, because I wish to live deliberately and to front only the essential facts of life and to not come to find that when I came to die that I had not lived. Um, so while I'm not living on Walden Pond by any stretch of the imagination, um, I have access to green space, which, again, I know is a privileged and something that I sacrificed to make happen for myself. You know, I live in an area where... Maybe I pay a little bit more to live in my house that I, uh, as opposed to maybe an urban living, um, but I have access to green space readily outside my door. So that feels really nice. I can just put on my shoes or not and uh, walk out the front door and head to a nice little spot where in the neighborhood where I live, there's still big trees. Uh, They weren't cut down. So there's trees that are between 100 and 300 years old right around my house um, and in the places that I go visit. And I think it's a good practice, too, to have a place that you go to on a really regular basis, season after season, year after year, so that you can watch the slow uh, mechanics of time passing and how the environment is affected by the passage of time through the seasons, um, what flourishes in the spring, what flourishes in the fall, what still thrives through the winter, um, what happens when it rains for two weeks straight, what happens when it doesn't to the watershed and things like this. So uh, I urge anyone who has a connection to nature to try to find a place that you can go to on a really regular basis, season after season, year after year. You make it part of your practice where you sit quietly and you can observe. And when you do that, you know, then you get the benefits too of seeing wildlife and learning the birds that live in your area and learning um, what the content of your soil is and learning, um, yeah, where the waters go when it rains a lot. And all these things can help you just become more connected to that which we all rely on, our beautiful Mama Earth, and 
than yourself and the ways that you are, the health and wellness of your mind and body are reflected and influenced by the health and wellness of the land that you live on. So being a caretaker for the land that you live on is really important to me, and I think it influences yeah, how I want to take care of myself, how I want my family to be taken care of, and uh, it's just a super important part of who I am. And it's just fun, too. It just gives me peace of mind. I think out there. I meditate out there. I sing out there. I pray out there. I watch out there. I listen. And... um yeah, it brings me great joy. Nice. Well, and I totally relate to that too because mm-hmm. I, I love nature and I love the the little subtleties through the seasons mm-hmm. where you may, if you're driving around an urban environment, you may not notice mm-hmm. in the dead of winter or early spring, everything still looks dormant. Mm-hmm. But you're in the forest, then you see, oh, there's different things going on and there's mm-hmm. life that's stayed green through the winter or the north side of a hill versus the south mm-hmm. facing, you know, wakes up a little sooner in the mm-hmm. spring. And, and these little um, these little subtleties do remind us, remind me that, yes, we have to be caretakers of, mm-hmm. of the space we live on. Even if we're in an urban environment and don't have access to green space, we can, we can you know, have a little backyard garden or mm-hmm. we can have a little flower box in the window or we can be aware of picking up litter or tr- mm-hmm. I mean there's ways we can care for our urban environments yeah. and we can be more conscious about energy use and things like that mm-hmm. but what um you did talk about in your early 20s doing a lot of activism mm-hmm. and I know we shared some time in workshops around activism and and this idea of conscious activism, how has that changed your views on act- activism mm-hmm. over the over the time? And as a parent, I think that shifts our view of things. But so. Yeah. Um, well, because it was a whole new world to me coming into it in my early 20s, activism probably wasn't very conscious. It was just exciting and there was an adrenaline to it because it, and it probably suited me in that it could be really confrontational. So I just think I had this, you know, early 20s, often you have this passion to want to make things right. And um, I think it also in ways that it was detrimental was that I was, um, oh, a little bit holier than thou. (laughs) (laughs) So I think my family was annoyed. People back that I left back home in Indianapolis um, were probably annoyed. Uh, So I had to work out the, the logistics of that. Because I was very, once I stepped into it, it was like all in. And, um, you know, the rest of you are living lives of mindless consumption, but I know, you know, so I had to certainly find an empathy um, and uh, uh, just a more intelligent, more compassionate way of being an activist. So that certainly wasn't the case in the beginning. It was very grr activism. Um <laughs> But 
you know, and I was around grr people, like kind of aggressive activists, but but overall, you know, we all grew through this together. And because uh, we were a lot of us were similar ages and similar passions and um and there was a maturity to the whole movement in and of itself because it had to. It had to. Nobody responds to being told that you're not taking care of the planet, but I know how to. So, you know, mm-hmm. nobody really responds in a really positive way to that. So you have to become more of a model of what you believe, like be the change you want to see in the world. Um, you have to model the behaviors and the things the accountability and the thought processes that you are asking others to do instead of just telling them how you think that they should behave. Uh, So that certainly took on, um, you know, that contributed to this evolving into a more conscious activism. Um, Because, yeah, back then we were just all about kind of sticking it to the man. Uh, (laughs) And then, you know, then you learn a little bit and you grow a little bit. And, um, and I'm so grateful for those people that were in my life back then because we've all, yeah, we've all stepped through into something greater or something more, more conscious, more evolved. Uh, so yeah, we kind of went from, um, working on protecting trees and protesting timber sales and protecting mountains from development and, uh, you know, mining issue, all kinds of, um, of environmental issues, especially that were affecting the areas out West there in Arizona and California and New Mexico and, um, this this area of the country to okay well now i have a partner uh brett and i'm pregnant and you know i can't be on the front lines of anything right now except for my own choices about how i want to be in relationship with him how i want to be in relationship with myself and how i want to be a mom um, so the activism started to shift into, okay, uh, as a woman, you know, here are my choices for um, prenatal care. Like, how can my choices for prenatal care reflect what I believe about the earth and about um, humanity and compassion and um, empowerment? And so that started to take on its own quality you might not think of that particularly as activism usually what you think of is somebody with the sign or with the banner or at the tree sit or whatever but um when that started to fade from what i was able to do because of life circumstances then other elements like um, midwifery and um, birth empowerment and women's health um, initiatives started to come into my role as an activist. And um, and so that took on its own and it still continues today for me that that's been a huge part of my activism since then is um, exposure, exposing um, the the 
the challenges facing women and women's health and um, yeah, menstrual hygiene and birth practices and postnatal practices. And um, and so that that has become a huge part of of what my activism looks like these days. Uh, so motherhood certainly brought that into the forefront. Um, and I think, you know, now that I know I have a voice, because I think in my 20s, I didn't trust my voice. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's pretty rare that you do that young. Um, and so now I trust my voice more. And that means that I have to be more more conscious. So that Act, that conscious activism has matured through my trusting of my voice, through becoming a mom and seeing the issues that motherhood, um, that women face when they're um, when they become moms um, or not. Uh, um, so that that has uh, that certainly played a part. And then I just want to leave a good earth for my kids. You know, we all do. Anyone mm-hmm. who's raised a child or is raising a child or even raise, you know, playing a role as a aunt or an uncle or a brother or a sister, you know, you want to leave something, you want to leave the earth a little bit better than you found it for the people that are going to come after you. So it's important to me now to think about long term, even that the seven generations, you know, how, Mm -hmm. what are the decisions that we're making now? How will this affect generations down the road? I think that's one of the things that that our politicians and our policy leaders and our voices in the United States especially need to really, really, really shift some focus into forward thinking, progressive thinking in terms of, um, yeah, how will the future generations be able to respond to what we're, you know, the way that we're leaving things right now. So yeah. it's hugely important to me that, yeah, that my kids have a healthy, thriving earth to live on. Yeah, mm-hmm. me me too. That's where I think voices like your own help drive that narrative to let's, let's think seven generations. Mm-hmm. Let's, what's this decision going to look like in 100 years? You know, and that's, yeah. and, and having lived in Indiana, I moved here in 1988. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, uh, I got to see some of the, because I was, consciously aware of the environment and things going on. I got to see little little uh, initiatives that people had started for like, um, oh, trying to um, reestablish like wild turkeys yeah. or bald eagles uh-huh. and uh, great blue herons. Mm-hmm. So these, a lot of those, you know, predatory birds mm-hmm. and things were just decimated in the 70s, 60s and 70s. But I drive around Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois quite a bit, and I watch, and it's amazing to see, like, really in the last five years, I mean, you could see more in southern Indiana, but in central Indiana, Ohio, and Illinois, now, bald eagles. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see them all the time, mm-hmm. um, sometimes pairs, mm-hmm. and in urban environments, mm-hmm. which is a sort of a tribute to this idea that Sometimes it doesn't take a big movement or a big shift in policy to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And and I see that, like, the direction we're moving in, there, there, 
there's more of a focus on um, policy shift and uh, bridging differences mm-hmm. on, you know, there's more of a two-way conversations, I feel like, in the community around here where we're, we're able to not so much organize, but to just have conversations like, yeah, we don't want to cut down these trees. Mm-hmm. And every now and then we got to rally and say, okay, this tree's 400 years old. Don't, <laughs> don't just bulldoze it down for a parking lot or right. something. But right. um, for the most part, people are listening in a way they haven't before. And mm-hmm. I think it's an evolution of, of that voice that you spoke of in your 20s. Mm-hmm. It starts as a parent, definitely it shifts, and then we mature. And I, I like how yoga, I think of ahimsa, the idea of non-harming and, and voice and our actions and our deeds and our thoughts, how that affects the way we parent, mm-hmm. um, the way we navigate in our communities, which leads into this idea that you have been a big part of your community. I mean, a longtime city yoga teacher, but also a teacher in central Indiana mm-hmm. and the work you do with women and, and, you know, the birth uh, doula and things like that. Um, it has an impact, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's why we love having you here as a teacher, but here at, on the podcast, because you, you have a lot to bring to, help build awareness around living your yoga. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interesting as you were talking, I was listening that in the, in your twenties, there is a lot of that sort of angry idealist Mm -hmm. invincibility, Mm -hmm. but you also found a practice on your yoga mat, Mm -hmm. which is a inward. It's almost the opposite of that. You're Mm -hmm. not, you're not focusing energy Mm -hmm. inward with aggression. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like breathe. Mm -hmm. And there's a calm mm-hmm. that starts to ripple out. Mm-hmm. And I guess, so a question would be, how does yoga, how do you feel like it's affected your your parenting, you know, today and more recent times? I know four girls, all teenagers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how has how's your decades of practice helped? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, um, I kind of skipped over that a catalyst for my commitment to a yoga practice really came through parenting, um, early twenties, dabbling, casual dabbling in yoga. But, um, once I had a child, my daughter, Isabel, um, once I had her, that's when I, that's when the yoga really took on a a level of primary importance in my life. Um, Still living out West and Isabel um, just challenged me as a new mom in so many ways Mm -hmm. that I don't even feel like I would maybe recognize that, that person. If I looked back, I would give her a big hug and tell her that she'll sleep again one day. You know, new mom, I promise you'll sleep again someday. I know you're not sleeping now and your daughter's fussy and um, you're feeling like a fish out of water, which I was. Uh, It'll get better, you know, just I want to give her a hug and tell her it'll get better. But um, 
so that's kind of where I was in this deeply deprived um, uh, mental and emotional um, withering, a little shadow of of myself just from the demands of having a new baby and feeling very insecure about my ability to take care of everything that comes with that. Um, I would have told her to trust herself a little more too, but you know, you live and learn. So I was in this very needy, um, depleted state when the yoga really came deeply into my life and the nourishment that I got on my mat for myself, like you said, um, the, the, the ability to be with myself and with the feelings of inadequacy that I had as a new mom and, um, the doubts that I had and the worries that I had to be able to confront those in a non-judgmental way, in a way where I was um, able to breathe with the help of some guidance in terms of just a steady breath and a presence on the mat and um, just uh, started to fill me back up, started to become a fulfilling experience that lent itself to, I can do this. Like, I am the perfect mom for her. She and I are mother and daughter for a reason. You know, she mm. came into this world with us as her parents for a reason. And so I started to be able to integrate um, and to fill myself up a little more through the practice of yoga and gained confidence, gained um um, yeah, just presence for her, for me, for him, for Brett, for us. And that cannot be underestimated because who knows really what could have happened. I mean, postpartum depression is a real thing. And um, the ways that society um, leaves behind new moms or, um, you know, makes there's a lot of challenges for new parents, as you know, whether it's, you know, not having paid paternity or maternity leave or, um, you know, the expectations of breastfeeding and um, being, you know, super mom, working a job and raising your baby and feeding her organic, whole, homemade baby foods and all these expectations that are placed on new parents. Um, if I hadn't found some sort of practice that gave me a boost instead of making me feel one more reason why I wasn't good enough, then who knows what could have happened and how my daughters would be today compared to how they are. Um, so, so I certainly attribute a lot of becoming a more um, confident and more responsive parents to the yoga practice. Um, and then, yeah, it's filtered through our lives. Now that our girls are so much older, you know, we are decades into parenting now. And, um, you know, we've gone through fun little spurts of um, having a really active family practice when the girls were, you know, a middle school-ish age and elementary school age where we do family practices together, Brett, me and the four girls. 
and had at least a consistent year of that on a nightly or evening basis where we taught them postures, we taught them breathing, we taught them meditation techniques, we did walking meditations with them. And so I hope that some of those seeds were planted for them that's helped them to maybe navigate some of their uh, challenges that they've faced in their life and maybe these seeds that'll bloom as they get older and gain that voice and find that um, practice that can be fulfilling for them. And now, you know, it looks like where I have one daughter that feels very yogic. Um, she's been a she's chosen a vegetarian lifestyle for many, many years. She leans into yogic teachings and practices. Other daughters who um, have, you know, just kind of turned away from it a little bit. Uh, other daughters, another daughter who's just kind of figuring things out for herself. So it's it's I trust that a foundation has been established and what they do with that foundation is their life's dharma. You know, it's not mine to direct necessarily anymore. They're loving, kind, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people. And, uh, they know what I do. They know that they can join me anytime that they're not in school or at work uh, to come to a class. And they do sometimes. They support me in a lot of ways by showing up at things that I ask them to show up at yoga-wise and activism-wise. And um, and they um, they just really, yeah, it's just so, so amazing to raise children. Yes, yes. Well, and... And you're living it, I mean, clearly, just watching you navigate your life. And and I think your students, that's why they're drawn to you, because there's an authenticity about the way you teach and live and share raising kids, Mm -hmm. share walking in the woods, Mm -hmm. you know. And that's that's a, um, you know, there's a a teaching there Mm -hmm. that's powerful. And and that's why, you know, we're, we're always... Excited to have you do some teacher training stuff to bring that that wealth of experience mm-hmm. and like knowledge to people. And I know you've done a lot of workshops and trainings, and um, and I know your husband Brett. He is a yoga teacher, and and you've collaborated together mm-hmm. to do some things. Uh, maybe just touch on a little bit of how how the two of you started teaching together, bringing music and mm-hmm. all that into to the, I guess, the workshop environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brett's my teacher. He, <laughs> he's been my teacher for a long time because he was very, very different than any other boy, any other young man that I had met um, previous to him. He was, uh, he, he just, he it sounds kind of cliche, but he just seemed like an old soul. He just seemed like he had a wisdom beyond his years. And um, at first that scared me when I met him because I was, yeah, like I said, a little bit of a seeking, uh, wayfaring um, spirit. And I just didn't know exactly what to do with the 
wisdom that he presented to me very, very early in our relationship when we were supposed to be laughing about silly things. He was talking about very deep things. Um, and he was the first person I ever met who could be in silence for long periods of time. It totally threw me off at first. Uh, he would just sometimes like we drive and he wouldn't have on any music or any, he wouldn't talk for like two or three hours. <laughs> he just <laughs> And I was like, what is this? You know, I'm used to like having stimulation, conversation, radio, music, singing, whatever in the car. And I was like, huh, okay, well, this is interesting. Um, so he's taught me so many ways to, um, to be quiet and to listen and to use your words effectively and sparingly. Um, and uh, so... So, yeah, I learned numerous important lessons that you could say were yogic teachings early on with him. And um, and then he he supported me in my early journeys through asana, um, was always encouraging about me taking classes and taking trainings and workshops and things. And that has been exceptionally helpful Um he came into yoga through meditation. And so he started out, I think, similar to your journey as a meditator. And then as he's sitting in meditation for long periods of time, his back starts to hurt, his knee kind of aches a little. And he's like, what can I do to make my meditation a little more stable, ease and comfortable? Oh, there's these things called asanas. There's these postures where you can stretch your back before you sit. You can stretch your hip before you sit. Or you can, yeah, take a pose that may help you discharge some energy before sitting practice. So that's how his yoga started or was born was through a meditation practice and then realizing that a stiff back is can be kind of a detriment in a meditation practice. Um, so he's always been a very simple asana person, but it's really, really good because he doesn't mess around with wild thing pose or, you know, um, showy poses or trying innovative, crazy like mm -hmm. things on the mat. He's a very like I could tell you right now what he'd do. He'd do Paschimottanasana. He'd do seated forward fold. That's his favorite. Um, and he'd do some sort of cobra or backbend. He'd do a child's pose and maybe a recline twist. And that's like his five or four go-to postures, maybe a shoulder stand or plow. Those are his postures. And he doesn't stray from that very much. Mm -hmm. But they're like almost a daily thing for him because he feels better when he does them. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, a testament that we can yeah. all get on board with anyone who's probably listening to this podcast who practices yoga can say, okay, I feel a little bit better when I do a few postures each day. Um, so, so he has that, um, experience and that perspective that's a little bit different from mine that I think is complementary to mine. So I've gone deep into asana. I've practiced years of ashtanga and um, vinyasa and um, other yin style forms and other things. So I have a, a wealth of asana experience and passion. Mm -hmm. um, and 
So it felt natural to team up with the person that I adore the most in the world uh, <laughs> to see what we could create together. Um, he went through a teacher training with Chris Yovanovich at Peace Through Yoga probably maybe six years ago. Um, so he got his foundation of how to teach a class Um uh, he was already pretty well versed because he's a self studier of um, Hinduism and lineage type, uh, Vedic type um, practices and readings and teachings and Ayurveda and things like that and Vedic astrology. He's super into that just on a personal, um, as a personal path. And, uh, but the the RYT through Peace Through Yoga kind of gave him a little boost in terms of, okay, I can also stand in front of or sit in front of people and explain teachings and ask them to do certain practices and demo and um, um, teach certain practices. So once he had that under his belt, and even probably a little bit previous to that, we'd started working together Um offering partner yoga uh, numerous times a year through City Yoga has been our main avenue of um, the partner yoga um, offerings. And um, we work together on that, coming up with a little flow for partners specifically. And um, that's always a joy to bring to the community we love doing that. It's just, it's really fun and it's meaningful and it keeps us working together on our mats, which we do on a somewhat regular basis to sit down and like do a couple partner yoga poses together, especially if we're feeling out of sync or we want to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been an important practice. And then music, I guess, has just always been a huge part of him in my life. He's been a lifetime musician. I guess I've been a lifetime musician. Um, He dabbles in all sorts of instruments, but right now is playing the flute a lot. uh, And that's nice. Um, And he picks up the drums uh, on a pretty regular basis and the guitar sporadically. Um, So we like to combo that. It's one of the most fun things to do instead of sitting down and, you know, binging on Netflix, sit down (laughs) with you, you know, he and I, and we'll play some things together. And that brings us a lot of joy. So music has always been an important part of um, my yogic teachings. I bring... I sing, we know, <laughs> and every single class with a song, and I love to om with my yoga students, and I love your singing bowl, the crystal singing bowls. Um, I bring the guitar or a drum sometimes because, I don't know, the arts and yoga synthesize very, very well mm-hmm. together, if you ask me. I mean, even looking around at beautiful art that's hanging in a studio is inspiring um, a, a playlist in terms of like yeah sparking something whether it's joy or nostalgia can be an important uh, nuance to a yoga experience um, 
yeah, poetry, all these these ways that humans have found. Like I say in my classes often that I think yoga and poetry come from the same seed. <laughs> they just uh, poetry can bypass like the literal language to capture some essence of the heart that's hard to articulate through just uh, like a nonfiction narrative or something. Mm -hmm. And I feel like yoga can do some of that. It can bypass some of the the walls that we've built in our head mm -hmm. about, I do things like this, or <laughs> you do things like, you know, just these, these kind of resistance uh, walls that we have in our mind about how things should be and... Um, I feel like yoga can bypass a little bit of that and get more to the essence of what's held in the heart. Yeah. And I think the arts and poetry do that. Yeah. Music and arts and poetry do that as well. And it is interesting you should say that when you think about, you know, poetry or, you know, carefully placed words packed with meaning. Mm -hmm. And we think about the, like the yoga sutras mm -hmm. with these little threads of wisdom that are, carefully chosen words packed with meaning mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. i i see that that parallel definite and the um um something else came up in my thoughts when you were talking about you know brett having sort of his go-to poses it made me think of like the five tibetans mm -hmm. which five poses you know not too much variation but it's it's something that's some people that's their practice as has been for decades mm -hmm. And it, so it's just speaks to the fact that we're all, you know, unique individuals and what may work for you might not work for me. What works for him may not work for someone else. But the idea that we start focusing, you know, a little introspection and then we settle into the practice that is nurturing us or, or feeding us in a way we need to be fed at the time. And that's, you know, looking at your two lives, it seems like that's, you know, just listening to you talk about it, it's like, oh, that's sort of beautiful practice and good advice for couples everywhere mm -hmm. <laughs> to be able to connect. And, mm -hmm. and what uh, just a gift it is to be able to connect on your mats mm -hmm. like you two do. Um, so let me ask you this on thinking about things you're doing today in your life today. And I know you're a person that likes to challenge yourself. What area of your life are you trying to lean into today? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have uh, uh, so probably too many expectations for what I should be doing in order to further my career and um, be a more organized, uh, go get them kind of person. So I have a list of things that, um, that, yeah, that, that, kind of call out to me and I feel like I should respond in in a lot of ways um, and that's good because really I can and really want to be more disciplined in terms of um, being proactive about my outreach um, 
staying more on top of my website and an email contact list and all these things that um, maybe some online offerings, all these things that I'm thinking, okay, you know, um, this could enrich your career. This could be a way that you can help pay for the orthodontist bills. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, so I have this, this list and, um, and I really do want to put and need to put efforts into that. And, um, I, it's really just a personal like challenge that I Mm -hmm. need to face up to of like, what are you capable of right now? What's, you know, three things that you could do, Lisa, on a daily basis to knock some things off of this list to get yourself in a better positioning to um, make some of these uh, things a reality for yourself. Uh, What, you know, who do you need to ask for help from? Because, you know, thank God I have a huge, beautiful through city yoga, through other yoga avenues, through friendships. I just have a beautiful community of people around me. Um, So so this is one of my action steps is um, leaning more into career planning, career managing kind of things, which obviously I have I don't know. I, t- I need to give myself some credit for the ways that I've grown as a teacher and um, through my offerings. But I tend to beat myself up a little bit that I haven't done X, Y, and Z. So that being said, there's also a little stepping back that I that w- I think would be helpful for me to lean back a little bit into grace, into yielding, into not trying to hyper control. Um, all these different aspects because yeah, I can tend to like overreact and get myself all worked up about little things. And parenting has taught me this maturing into a, I'll be 46 in a couple of months. Um, there's, there's a little bit of grace that I'm trying to hold as well, hold room for, the falling back from this need to, yeah, be constantly working on this and constantly working on that and striving to achieve this and striving to achieve that. Well, Lisa, let go of the reins a little bit. See what opportunities might arise from you. (sighs) Relaxing, you know. Yeah, so I think we're all, you know, this is a common thing nowadays and probably for all of time is Mm -hmm. how much do I want, how much can I control and how much do I let go of the reins? Um, So I'm certainly in the midst of all of that. Well, and that's, and I think a lot of people can identify with that that are listening out there and because we do, you know, list and however we try to. I should be doing this, you know, Mm -hmm. and I like the way you talked about just dropping back, you know, just leaning back. And and what you really spoke to a lot today was this idea of like taking your passions and your skills and meeting up with the needs of the community through service. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I believe when, when we do that, you know, we take what's in our heart, 
and try to share it, which is what you do, in a in a, a um, giving way that's of service to help enhance others' lives, then I think we can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. And when we listen to the spinnings in our head, that takes a lot of energy mm-hmm. that sucks away from more energy we could spend, you know, doing what you do. Mm-hmm. And I get it, you know, running a business, I know there's, there's, Stuff that has to get done, and it's not fun. So I'll put it off <laughs> right. and do the you know do the f- things that are fun. Right. You know, record a podcast, right? You know, right. Do, walk in the woods, yeah. <laughs> walk in the woods, uh, create a you know new yeah. playlist or a fun flow, and um, but we do have to have that discipline, and yoga mm-hmm. gives us that discipline. I think mm-hmm. the um, and you have done so much as I was you know thinking about our conversation today not just evolving as a teacher, but international retreat leader. You led a retreat for us down in the Cayman Islands oh, not yeah. that long ago. And you've done Costa Rica and Guatemala. And I mean, mm-hmm. you've gone out into the world and created these programs and shared mm-hmm. your skills and gifts. And, and I did want to ask you a little bit about your Arizona retreats mm-hmm. and what what's your... Um, I not goal, but when you create that program, I know you've done several of them and continue to do them. What's what's your sort of impetus for what you what kind of experience do you, are you trying to create for people mm-hmm. on that? Yeah, yeah. The Arizona retreats um, were born maybe three years ago, two and a half, three years ago. And I think we've taken groups of yogis, I'm going to say five times to Arizona for, we tend to make them long weekends. So like a five day, four night retreat. Um, They started out in Tucson because it felt safe and familiar because we'd spent seven years there. And I knew the town and knew what amenities we could access. And so that was the first diving, um, Brett and I, going to Arizona, going to Tucson. I think our first one we brought, I'm going to say at least 10 people. Um, And since then, we've refined it a little bit. figuring out what works, what doesn't, what are people looking for. So they've shifted, and I think we'll continue to shift. They've shifted away from Tucson. Um, maybe we'll revisit it again, but it felt like it, it had its place as a good landing place for mm-hmm. us to try this out. And um, now we're looking a little bit more towards... Um, more nature experiences because Tucson, we can get out into the desert and that's fun. But we were staying in the in the center of town and the the beauty and the challenges of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so while we ate good, really good food at good restaurants um, and had uh, lots of sightseeing and things like this. Um, we've shifted to northern central Arizona and to Sedona, and that's given us this infusion of Mother Nature, this infusion of a connection to land and sky that maybe we were missing in the Tucson one. Um, so we've brought three groups to Sedona 
And um, we average six participants per group. And that's a nice number because part of the focus of these Arizona yoga retreats is a sense of building community. So often it's strangers, six strangers, or maybe somebody brings a a friend or a daughter or a partner or whatever. Um, but for the most part, these are people coming together and they've never spent five days, four nights together, especially in a house together, which is what we've done in Sedona, is all staying and living together, which gives, I think, our retreats a little bit of a of a uh, uniqueness um, because we wake up in the morning together and uh, do a sunrise practice together. We um, practice the yoga there at the home. So whether it's out on a deck or we've practiced in the driveway <laughs> before, um, uh you're with these, you really, it it becomes, It's it may sound frivolous, but it's not. It becomes like a little family, a little temporary family, a little temporary community where I've seen friendships blossom during these yoga retreats that have lasted for years. People, even really unique ones where a 20-something-year-old really strongly connected with a 60-something-year-old and they're friends to this day. Mm -hmm. And that gives me a lot, a lot, a lot of joy and happiness to watch these relationships blossom and to see how things shift from day one, where everyone's a little bit on guard and a little bit like, I don't know how this is going to go. Um to day five when people are hugging each other, laughing, singing together, embracing each other, promising to be there for each other after the retreat is over, sharing intimate things about their lives and things that they've loved and lost. And uh, so that's really what we're bringing. And I use yoga as the, like the the gateway drug or whatever, <laughs> you know, the the thing that hooks people mm -hmm. because, okay, we're coming to this retreat because we're all interested in yoga. Um, but once you're on the retreat, the yoga becomes a part of the experience and not necessarily the entire focus. At my retreat so far, we haven't spent, we don't spend like hours and hours and hours in an asana practice. It's more like asana is a part of the day doing a morning practice um, so that your body's woken up, so that your prana is flowing, so that you're aware and you can, that sets the tone for the rest of the day because you've done this, this practice in the morning. And, um, and then we add things like, um, you know, little excursions out for a hike or to a little Buddhist stupa, um, and then an evening practice that's maybe more meditative or more rooted in ritual, like water blessings and things like this. So, so yeah, yoga is kind of the thing that hooks people and gets them to be excited about going to a place and having an experience. And then I think they come out with a lot more than they had anticipated. Yeah. Because friendships have developed, yeah. and that's priceless. Right. Well, what a beautiful way to create these small communities and mm -hmm. intentionally 
limiting your size to mm-hmm. that's a sounds like a beautiful I have to get Annie to go that would be very cool <laughs> well what um as we kind of wind it down a little yeah. what's what are you working in you know late summer fall mm-hmm. what kind of things you got coming up yeah well let's schedule a partner yoga so yes. yeah be on the lookout listeners especially if you're local for a summertime partner yoga we'll get it on the schedule and um, publicize it and um then looking into early fall i am um I do some work with my friend Anna, and she's been a beloved friend of mine for, let's see, our kids will be 16 this year. So, yeah, about 15 years. Um, And she and I have monthly or every six weeks offerings of, like, extended yoga classes, two-hour yoga classes where we explore vinyasa flow and yin style, and then we add... Anna's an amazing group facilitator, so she has these um, these um, teachings and experiences uh, that we that we weave into these, and we call it Soul Collective Yoga, and we hold them at art studios in and around Central, in and around Indianapolis. Um, so those, keep your eyes out for those, and I'll publicize those on my social media and my website, and. Um, and then I'm collecting emails for uh, newsletters to go out. That's one of the things that's on my uh, radar of um, on the to-do list that I'm excited about. I used to do them, and then just life got busy, mm. and I dropped it. And it's been numerous years since I sent out a newsletter, but I'm I'm um, making an intention to add those again, and those will just be like a little fun story because I like to write and uh, announcements about upcoming events at City Yoga and and around town. Um, Yeah, look for Brett and I to do some music things and um, just kind of keep the ball rolling, keep, um, you know, getting people engaged with... um, wakefulness engaged with a practice you know i want to thank everybody that practices you know thank you for practicing it's an important Mm -hmm. it's an important thing to be doing right now Um, and on your email list can they sign up for that through your website is that was that in the works yeah that's in the works okay yeah well Mm -hmm. so we'll we'll have your website on our podcast details and notes Mm -hmm. And so the whole world is going to be looking. Good, for right, that. right. <laughs> Update it, Lisa. <laughs> and uh, no, that's really awesome. And and Anna Nowak. Uh, yeah. Oh, she did teacher training here years ago, and I I loved her. And it's so exciting that you two have collaborated. I, I saw mm-hmm. I've you know I've seen some flyers and haven't made it to one yet, but mm-hmm. definitely want to go to experience that. That yeah. sounds like a like a beautiful experience. Mm-hmm. And the, knowing both of you. That I can just see that as really a, an exciting, you know, fun thing to be doing and participating in. So, um, well, any parting words that you'd like mm. to leave us with? Um, uh, I think just, uh, you know, work, work and ease into loving yourselves and loving each other and uh, making choices from that place.
Awesome. Mm-hmm. What, what a beautiful way mm-hmm. to wrap it up. And and thank all of our listeners out there. We appreciate you downloading the podcast and subscribe or leave a comment. But we do. We are grateful that you took time to listen and spread the, the inspiration and transformation that yoga has to offer. So we'll, until next time, have a great day. Thank you. So that's it for today. Thank you all for giving us a listen at the Yoga Voice. If you want to hear more about what Lisa's up to in the world, you can find her website at www.radiantheartofferings.com. You can find her on social media. And we'll have all this information in our podcast notes and details. And once again, thank you so much for tuning in. Have an awesome day. Thank you for listening to The Yoga Voice, brought to you by City Yoga School of Yoga and Health, where we are committed to exploring how yoga inspires and transforms. Find out more at www.cityyoga.biz. That's C-I-T-Y-O-G-A dot biz. Special thanks to our producer, Brian Sims, for his audio expertise.